Hello and welcome to Zero Hangout TV for this week. Uh, we are breaking down the, we're reviewing the Brownlow. We are going to take a look at the predicted lineups for the grand final and uh, a couple more things with the North Assistance package. So I'm joined as always by AFL Chief Editor, Hi. Mitch Keating. Hello, mate. How are you, mate? Yeah, yeah. sitting yeah, down, a bit more casual this time. Yeah, new look. Yeah, new like look. It. Uh, and killing me after a long season. So <laughs> yeah, it has. Nice. And uh, we are we are now also a podcast. If you didn't know that, we uh, this is now available as a uh, as a podcast. So we're available on all the uh, podcast apps, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, I don't know if I told you that. Did I tell you? That? No, we. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Cool. If you're sick of looking at our faces, kind <laughs> of just tune in uh, on those kind of groups. So yeah, yeah. Best of both worlds, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's jump straight into it. So obviously, uh, the Brownlow was last night with Lockie Neal taking the honours, uh, a little bit controversially, but uh, yeah, what was your biggest takeaway from the Brownlow last night? We knew it was gonna be close, um, and it was, uh, I, I don't think we've had a better count. I know people are probably upset with, with the outcome, mm -hmm. but I don't think we've had a better count when you've got five players who can win it with one round remaining. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Lockie Neal certainly deserving, um, I think in some regard, I think he was third now MVP, so we he wasn't necessarily off our radar, but we had Marcus Bontempelli probably winning, uh, just ahead of, Maybe a Nick Dacos or a Christian Petrarca, and yeah. all those guys were in it, as, as well as Errol Gordon. So I think he was fourth in our MVP. So yeah, um, yeah, we we had, you know, we knew it was going to be tight, as was our MVP. But um, yeah, Neil taking it out. Look, he's number one clearance player, number one contested possession player. So when you're talking about what the umpires are seeing, he's right there in the thick of the action. Mm -hmm. uh, the Lions obviously had a pretty decent win tally to end the year, one less than the Pies, and that's with Nick Dacos mi missing the last three rounds. So yeah. Um, you know, he's playing in more wins than just about anyone. Um, so that was also obviously going to be a big factor. Uh, but yeah, look, Nick, Nick probably takes it home if he doesn't get injured. Um, annoying to say. Uh, maybe at least tying with, with Neil. Um, maybe a couple extra votes here for the Bont um, we probably were predicting. But uh, I, I, I would love to think that he gets one next year or the year after. And he he might be the greatest player to never win a Brownlow yeah, at this point. A lot like Pendles. Look, the Pendles comparisons have been around for a while, but that's that's one that, that probably hurts more than yeah. more than anything. Uh, and then Nick Dacos has got 10 years to win three. So yeah. <laughs> um, he'll be all right. And Errol Gould, and I think some people kind of forget just how young he is. He's a third-year player. Yeah. Um, Nick Dacos, second-year player, but a third-year player even doing what Errol Gould's done. And another one, Noah Anderson. Um, yeah, in the eyes of, of uh, the umpires a lot as well, um, as we saw on the night. And, you know, if the Suns can can get a few wins under their belt uh, next year under Damien Harwick, he could be a very strong finisher um, yeah. in the 2024 count. Yeah, so he... Uh, we were tipping him to probably come maybe like 10th or something. But, yeah, I like... Don't think we had him top 10. Uh, yeah. I think guys like uh, Toby Green, Jordan Dawson... Um, Tim Taranto, Jack Sinclair, we might have had ahead of him. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, a bit of a bolter in, in that sense. Um, you missed the preview last week. So, who was your actual take, uh, tip to win it? Yeah, I had Bont as it's well. Bont, yeah. yeah, I, I, I if I, look, this is speaking high, in hindsight, but I probably would have had, eaten on maybe a, a draw. Yeah. And you kind of throw your, your net over Bont, Dacos, and Petrarca. So, even then, I wouldn't have had Neil. Yeah. Um, so, that was a surprise. But as I said, it, He's, he's the winner, second time winner as well, which is, is some effort. And yeah, I think there's certainly an argument for why he won as well. Yeah, and then arguably probably should have won it last year anyway. That's over Cripps who that's got an, off on a technicality. Well, that's so. an amazing factor as well, isn't it? Patrick yeah. Cripps' suspensions upheld last year. Lockie Neal's a three-time Brownlow winner. Yeah. And he's you know he's at the peak of his powers. He 
can certainly win another one next year or yeah. the year after. Um, there's always there's always can be a lot of what ifs around the brown line. You know, look at someone like Gary Ablett could have had three to four. Yeah, you know, it wasn't for injuries. Yep. Um, or maybe you know the O eight or O nine, um, O eight or seven brown line counts. So um, yeah, there's certainly a lot that can um, can go a way of one and way of the other. And um, yeah, 2023 was Lockie Niels, and like I said, yeah, no one's taken that away from him. And yeah, I, like there's certainly a reason why he deserves it. Well, I said it last week, um, you know, the Brownlow throws up weird stuff. So there's a couple more things in your breakdown. So breakdown of the Lions votes. Yeah, this, this was obviously interesting when Lockie Neal's polling 31 to get the medal, um, mm. how some of his teammates polled um, for the season. Seven votes between McCluggage and Dunkley, which are his second and third kind of helpers. Um, Dunkley getting four, McCluggage getting three. Will Ashraf did get 10, so I, I'm not, like, he's not the, they're not the only two that, that um, we're featuring in midfield, obviously, and, and Ashcroft did quite well and got off to a very early start. But it, it was kind of after that, those first few rounds where a lot of it was going to Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was certainly an eyebrow raiser when you've got Josh Dunkley, who was probably just as good as Neil in some regard this year in midfield. And then Hugh McCluggage had you know, not, not a you know, wow season like we, maybe he's had the last few years, but he was very consistent. Um, I still think he was playing at an elite level and, um, yeah, certainly probably warranted more than three votes. But that just kind of shows you that. Um, the impact Lockie Neal is having on that group and, you know, he's polling 31 votes to the pairs seven is, is quite significant. And even if you add Ashcroft in, he's almost doubled all three of those guys combined. So, so that was significant um, for the Lions. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things that I, I thought were worth mentioning. Jack Viney, 24 votes. He polled 23 votes, I think, over his last five seasons yep. in total. He did have a 14-vote season a few years before then, but... Um, this was some great recognition for him. Two votes less than Christian Petrarca. Everyone mm. always talks about Max Gorn and, and Clayton Oliver taking votes off Christian Petrarca or, and, or vice versa. But Jack Viney, uh, and he's a big game player, you know, those um, kind of showcase blockbuster public, ho- public holiday type encounters or public holiday eve type encounters against, you know, Richmond, um, King's Birthday against Collingwood. Um, yeah. He's a big game player. Um, yeah. And that's probably helped him as well. But 24 votes, 21 of them came in perfect games. So mm-hmm. seven three-vote games, same amount as Lockie Neal and Nick Dacos. Yeah. So those three were the top. Um, he, he'll probably do very well on the best and fairest. I, I wouldn't, I'd tip him maybe to take it out this year. Yeah, I'd, he'd be a great shout. Um, not sure how like the Demons uh, Bluey Truscott medal works for voting exactly, but yeah, track will be up there, Gorn will be up there. I think guys like Stephen May and Jake Lever should as well. Yeah. Uh, I think Stephen May only came away with three votes, which um, it's not a, you know, it's a, it is midfield it's a midfielder's award in, in yeah. a way. So um, I don't even did I don't think Lever even polled any. I'm trying to remember. I know there was a game late in the year that he was probably looking at best on, and I don't think he yeah. got a vote at all. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a game where he actually got ten coaches' votes and didn't yeah. get a Brownlow vote. So um, yeah, you can't expect defenders to poll that well. But um, yeah, some of those guys obviously didn't. Uh, some other ones, Geelong third last for total votes. Um, you know when you kind of talked about the 2023 season there's north melbourne and west coast at the bottom for just about everything yep and then it's kind of that big gap and geelong were the, were the next in that gap but they're only i think 15 16 votes ahead of north melbourne so it's not like that gap was as significant as what we've seen with other metrics that compare the, the eagles and roos um obviously west coast were a little bit further back from from north melbourne but um so i can't really put them together um exactly but yeah geelong i think it was only 55 votes for the year quite low um and again, you know, Jeremy Cameron, their leading vote getter, uh, a, a key forward. Danger did okay. Uh, and then you've got Tom Hawkins, another key forward. Tom Stewart, a, a backman. That's their top four. Yep. So that's probably, you know, they don't have that midfield um, flash yeah. um, outside of maybe Dangerfield. 
Um, so you probably could have seen it coming, but yeah, third last for a reigning premier is uh, was probably that was pretty surprise. surprising. Yeah, and one of my favorites of the night, uh, Andrew Phillips got his Flipper. first first set of Brownlow votes. Yeah, Nick Martin had a good reaction to that. Um, yeah. first set of Brownlow votes in his career, so twelve seasons in the in the comp three clubs. Called time to head back to Tassie, play with Lauderdale. Uh, for 2024 but yeah he in his last season he picked up his first three votes which is awesome ended the night on three votes and this is probably where it, it might not be the best reading for Essendon but he finished equal fourth yeah in the club's voting voting uh polling in one game yeah so three votes get get, get your got, got your equal fourth with uh Cole Langford Jake Stringer he was ahead of Peter Wright Mason Redmond Jordan Ridley uh Jai Caldwell um so he had Merritt Parrish ahead of him uh there's one other name I'm probably forgetting but um yeah the it, it's probably not great reading for Essendon when you've got um, a Ruckman who um, still was a very consistent solid player for them this year, but um, one that's that's leaving your list and only polled in one game is finishing equal fourth. So uh, that was, yeah, like I said, good and bad to come out of, out of that little uh, fact, but yeah, that was kind of one that also kind of caught my eye. As yeah, well. that was a great reaction from Nick Martin um, yeah. when he pulled that. So... Uh, yeah, my, my main takeaway is, so big shout out to Jack Jovanovsky, AFL reporter for Zero Hanger. He, uh, he had Golden as his smokey to win it. Um, and that was a, that ended up being a surprisingly very good call. Um, yeah, he could easily be up there again next year. I think for next year, I'm tipping either like your Goldens, your Dacoses and your Tom Greens as well, yep. um, who came home pretty strong. Uh, but my biggest takeaway was that it's just too long. That is, I ended up finishing around 11, 11 p.m., 11.30. Well, I was, yeah, I was working, I think I called quarter yeah. to nine, about quarter to, to 12. Yeah. And um, even Neil said something in his um, in his acceptance speech that, um, yeah, is, he's ready for bed. Like, yeah. it's way too long. And I understand why they do it. It's Channel 7, it's ads, um, but, you know, like push home and away back or something if you if you want to start yeah, I, earlier. Yeah, I just don't think it needs to start at 8.30. 100%, yes. And before, um, start at 7.30. Yeah. Um, it's probably, yeah, I don't, like, obviously there's a lot that goes into broadcasting this and, and a lot needs to be aligned. And like you said, there's other factors in play that will influence the broadcast and what the AFL can do and what Channel 7 can do. But yeah, just an hour before. Way too be long. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess the, the next thing is that it does uh, throw up this question. Obviously, it's been a pretty controversial uh, result for a lot of people. So do we need to start looking at revamping how the votes are counted? Like, in, in my opinion, it's the game is already really hard to adjudicate. And yeah. obviously, there's a lot of discussion about that. So, and on top of that, umpires are expected to also pay attention to who the best on ground is. So yeah. what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's, it's always interesting. I don't like probably putting more pressure on umpires than what they're already under. Yeah. Um, you could also probably go to the umpires and ask them if they like voting on it. It's you know kind of a, a great role to have in the game. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of umpires love it, whether maybe some of the older guys you know, after a few years might be like, oh, yeah, all right, cool. We'll, we'll get these out of the way. And um, so that'd be interesting to know just how keen the umpires are first and foremost. And then, yeah, I think it would be, especially with the backlash that, Followed last night, or obviously all fingers get pointed at the umpires, and, and that's something that fans will do. Um, and, and I understand that because yeah, there was some, certainly some howlers um, from when you're looking at, from, and that's all stats based. I don't think a lot of people, you know, you might come away from the game and think, oh yeah, that was, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you played well, and you look at the stats, oh you didn't, you know, have the great amount of stats. But that's like that's probably and the umpires are under thing are looking at stats, so that's what yeah. all they can go off. They don't, they can't. If they had stats, then yeah, maybe some of these decisions were made. But I don't know if we wanted all stats based at all, really. Um, 
So taking away from the umpires might might be an option still because, like you said, they're already trying to focus on just doing the best they can on field. Yeah, and then which is hard enough. Game. It is one of the hardest jobs yeah. around. Um, so, yeah, I think you could certainly put it to, to a, a couple of you know, panel members throughout the year, um, and and yeah, have them voting on it. Um, there's also you know some you, know, you look at something like the Dallium. Yeah, um, they have public votes up until about round 14, 15, I think, of the season. Um, you can have a couple of you know, guys voting on, on one award. And the AFL did it two years in the 70s where they had, I think, two voters at 3-2-1. So, uh, and in those two years, the midfielders didn't win it. It was funnily enough. I think it was a couple of Ruckman. Um, and then you look at the last 31 years in the AFL and only one non-midfielders won it. I think that mm-hmm. is counting like Adam Goods, who yeah. really was a midfielder, but he was you know, an Australian Technically Ruckman Technically a Ruck, year and, yeah. Um, so that has an asterisk itself. So there's, yeah, there's, there's probably something that some... Uh, changes you can make to also move it away from being a midfielders award. You know, you also talk about the, the fairest part of it. Uh, I think you can probably open that up a little bit. Um, I think the Dallium as well do. You know, if you get suspended for a couple of weeks or whatever it is that you you know you lose votes instead of um, you know just being ineligible for the year. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the AFL looks at and this was a debate obviously throughout the season is if you've got um, you know a careless acts that kind of gets you a suspension there can be a lot of iffy ones like those then then maybe you can still be eligible whereas an intentional act kind of rules you out yeah that makes a bit more sense to me as well um when you're talking about the fairest side of things so there's a there's a lot that can change um whether the afl are going to be open to a lot of change at once or just kind of looking at what the priority is going to be and whether it's how the voting system works or who's voting on it um that's another matter but yeah I i think they're going to strongly consider um, a change over yeah. the next twelve months, um, and then that you know that might not be for next year's count um, because they you know they only have about five six months before the season. Yeah, so it might be for the twenty twenty five count, um, and it, yeah, it would make things interesting to see how differently it might be adjudged. Yeah, um, with a different set of eyes. It would be interesting if they brought in a lot of changes at once, and then uh, yep. that would essentially throw into question um, the previous winner as well. So yep. I don't think they'd be going for that. And shout out to uh, Ed Carmine who wrote a great article about on Zero Hanger about comparing the uh, voting system between the Brownlow and the Dalia. Yep. Um, so we'll move on now. So that's all the Brownlow talk, and we're moving on to it's grand final week. You know, so. Yeah, so, <laughs> so predicted grand final lineups, right, and changes. So, um, obviously, McStay out for Collingwood. Uh, what have you? What have you got? Yeah. Uh, so we'll have a bit more of an in-depth grand final discussion later in the week that you can tune into. But um, just from a, an early week look at, at teams, yeah, McStay out that with that high-grade MCL sprain is a big blow. Obviously, yeah. He was really, he was really impressive. I thought uh, in that preliminary final, um, you know, didn't have heap of the ball, but. When he won it, he was winning it, you know, contested marks and, and kicked a couple of goals. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he only had five touches, but he had four marks, two contested marks and two goals. So Yeah, so but he's part of that structure too, that's, like that's for my thing, check. Yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of always been what's been spoken about Dan McStay. He's a role player. As much yeah. as he is their leading, probably their best key forward, he's still a role player. Um, and he was playing his role to perfection and was a big reason why they won that game. So he comes out um, and it really makes this interesting. I'll, I'll talk on Taylor Adams in a sec. I don't think he's going to be playing. But um, who do they bring in for Dan McStay? Do they just go get a forward? Nathan Kruger, Reef McInnes. McInnes is probably their most impressive VFL forward this year. Do they go with Billy Frampton, who's been a forward for most of his career, mm-hmm. moved back line at Adelaide last year before getting picked up by Collingwood as a backman, but he's also played forward this year. 
Um, so they could just throw him straight in. I know he's been training as a forward this week, so that's going to make things interesting um, just on how well he performs on the track. The other option they get with Frampton is that he can play in back in the back line yeah. and allow someone like Jeremy Howe to play forward, or he can be the extra man in defence um, when the game's late and on the line and they just need some of that rear, rear guard reinforcement. So few options there. I think Frampton's coming in uh, if I'm just like predicting the lineup and the changes. So it's just one change. Frampton for McStay, and that means I don't think I don't. It just doesn't look like Taylor Adams is going to be fit in time. Yeah, I would say that's that's really cruel for him. Um, certainly deserving of a medal, uh, I would think. Um, so yeah, if if he was cleared, I think that probably spells bad news for Pat Lipinski. Uh, and then the other thing to consider is if they don't want to tour for, for Dan McStay, um, Jack. Ginevan could start and John Noble gets a sub role or Noble goes straight into the starting side. So there's a little bit to play out there if, if they want to go smaller against the lines. But um, for, for the Pies, all I have is Frampton in uh, for mixed day and Taylor Holmes. Yeah. I think for a grand final, I don't know how many, if you want to make a lot of changes for a grand final, like yep. yeah, clearly what they're doing is working. Um, so how about Brisbane? Yeah, they've, they've got a lot to consider as well, obviously. And a lot of it's just going to hang around. Jack Payne's ankle um, and and the next few days. So he'll get Thursday's main session to prove his fitness. Um, but even if he does, you know, just Chris, uh, Chris Fagan doesn't like messing with, with the right mix. Um, and what he got out of Darcy Gardner will certainly throw a spanner in the works because he, mm-hmm. was, he was fantastic in, in Payne's absence uh, against Carlton, you know, going one-on-one with, with Charlie Kerner is no easy job. And, and him working alongside Harris Andrews just looks so well, even though, you know, uh, Garner had only played two games before Saturday night. So if Payne's fit, there's certainly no uh, certainty that he comes back in, which makes it quite interesting. Um, and Garner could, could hold his spot. Um, so there's, that's going to be a tough one. Um, and then you kind of look at, you know, someone like Jack Gunston is the same. Went out because of injury and now can't get back in. Yeah. Um, because of, you know, the, the, the team is working so well. Um, and, and I guess that's kind of what... Um, Chris Fagan doesn't want to shake up too much. So they could go in unchanged and have Jack Payne and Jack Gunston yeah. um, on standby. He's got enough premiership medals anyway. <laughs> yeah, it'd, it'd be nice if you could add one. But, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. The, it, I think don't want to mess with something that's working too much. Jared Lyons probably holds his sub role when you've got guys like you know, uh, Gunston and Payne on the sidelines. But Fort, Pryor, uh, Rich, Tunstall will probably still be around the emergencies. And Jared Lyons is probably the guy that gets the sub role after holding in the last few weeks. So to sum up, I'm going unchanged, whether I think even if Payne's fit, he might not get named, but it's going to be way too close to call and could be too much of a risk yeah. with the grand final. And, and I think with Darcy Gardner and how he performed on Saturday, he will hold his spot unchanged. And that includes Jared Lyons being the sub. Yeah, agreed. Um, so who are you leaning towards? It's very early days. Um, I'm, at the moment, I'm leaning towards Collingwood just because it's at home. Yeah. But uh, yeah, who's your pick? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably take the Pies. Lions went, I think, 0-2 at the MCG. So only two games at the MCG for the whole year. I think it's going to be Collingwood 17th at the MCG for the year. Yeah. So that's that's a big difference. You know, I think between uh, since McRae's taken over the Lions are 3-0, and but they haven't played at the G. So like, you can just say it's just a ground and, yeah. it's, and it's just another game. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm having the Pies. It's also the crowd. I think that's going to be It'll be, it'll be significant. Part. Like it's not going to, it's funny because everyone's, you know, there's a lot of corporate seats and a lot of neutral seats, but even last year's grand finals, a very well balanced and still strong Geelong mm-hmm. and Sydney crowd. Um, I don't think it's going to work as evenly. And I, yeah, it will be a lot louder for, for Collingwood fans. Um, but 
Yeah, it's gonna. It'll be a close game. I don't. Yeah. I don't see this being a blowout. Um, even though you know we do get a lot of grand finals that are heavily one sided. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I think Collingwood may maybe a couple of goals. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting stuff. All right. So let's move along to the North assistance package. So they've been approved for this. Yep. Yeah. yeah AFL and, and North confirmed this uh, on Monday afternoon. So the Roos will get a uh, first round pick at the end of this year's uh, first round. So that'll be like pick 19 and, and that'll push back to maybe, you know, 22, 23 after some bidding. Um, they'll also get two similar selections for next year's draft. So at the end of the first round, two selections for the 2024 first round. They also had two additional rookie list spots this year, and that'll get extended into next year. So that so that last point probably just works, um, gives them a bit of list flexibility. Maybe a couple of guys who they were going to delist get another year, um, or they just look at some SSP options um, over the next few months instead. But the the first point that the the um, First round pick that they get for this year really is going to give them a huge hand. For, yeah. For, from a 2023 lens, that's you know their opening pick, their potential Ben Mackay compensation. They've got Port Adelaide's first round pick, and then they're adding what is now pick 19. That's a lot. That's it is a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. Um, on top of the assistance they got last year to get Darcy Tucker and Griffin Logue, it, it, it can be quite considerable. And we haven't even talked about the, the future picks in a sec. But um, yeah, that's that's you know that's an easy play to get Harley Reid. If they want him, that's yeah. um, that's that's setting you up for pretty well for the future. Even though they've already been, you know, pretty heavy into the draft the last few years, so that's that's quite um, quite significant. Yeah. That one pick alone, and I think to be honest, it was a bit of an overs this this package. I think that pick maybe alone might have might have been enough to satisfy the ruse. Maybe maybe not totally with what they were asking for, but. Enough to satisfy the risk. Look, they get an extra first round pick. That's not that bad. Yeah. Um, no matter where it is in the first round, that that's that's still pretty helpful. Um, on top of you know all the other selections they'll have, um, but then you add in these two future first round picks. Now the AFL can rescind these or they can review them um, in twelve months. But North Melbourne can trade them this year, which makes it very interesting. So this right. is yes, yeah, so this is really interesting. So obviously, if they had those two picks heading into the start of the season next year, then there is probably some incentive that they don't have to play as well as they could. And mm. that way they, they keep the picks. If they played really well, that's great. Like that's what the club wants still, but they might lose those picks. So it, it's, I'm not saying, you know, that you're going to look at it as tanking again, but it's, it's, it's some incentive to play poorly, which is what every draft is. Like, yeah. You know, that you do need um, some incentive for, for being bad. Um, but this is just additional on top of that. So, they can trade them. Uh, North kind of stated uh, on Monday they can trade those, which means that they're probably on offer. Like if you're a rival club and you want future first round selections, or you just want to, if you're happy to look at next year's draft, which um, you know is going to be midfield heavy, a few father son selections. So there's there's going to be some clubs interested in the 2024 draft um, already. Um, but but the, a big talking point I think you can take out of this is that you know, North wanted Riley Sanders, and I think they got more than just getting direct access to him because these two picks plus maybe pick 19 this year, they could trade to you know get in line for him. Yeah. Um, on top of that, there are already early selections. So while I think a lot of clubs would have been ropeable um, if they just got direct access to Riley Sanders, um, they, they, and they, they probably are still upset with the level of um, this, how strong this package was. This. Yeah, these few three picks really could just get them Sanders with a, in a trade in a way. Like obviously, they, the draft has to play out in their way, but they could you know, move themselves into the top five and have you know, three top five picks. Yeah, so it's it's 
there's a lot going on. There, there. is, there is. And, and yeah, you can understand maybe Chris Scott's comments on, 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 on frustrations because um, it's kind of the clubs in the middle that are probably losing the most now. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they're, they're fighting to get into the top 10 of the draft and all of a sudden their picks are pushing back out to 12, 13. So Geelong, for example, will have pick seven. That'll probably blow out to 11. Yeah. Um, and it's pick seven. Like, you know, you should be getting a top seven player in the draft. Instead, you, you, you know, yeah. you're looking outside the top 10. So there's, there's some frustrations there, which which you can understand. And, and like I said, North now have a lot of power. That's, that's not only all the first round picks that they've taken, but they've got three for this year Yeah. on top of. And then they'll add maybe Ben Mackay compensation. That sounds like it's going to happen. So that'll be picks two, picks three. Yeah. Pick uh, what Port Adelaide's like 16, I think, or, or maybe uh, 14 or 15. Uh, and then pick 19, which, yeah, like I said, most of them will come back. But still, and then they get two more first rounds on top of their first round of next year. So On top of previous years where they've had... Well, that's, that's the other thing. Yeah, like, like they haven't had heaps of assistance over the last 10 years. but um, And they got a little bit last year, which they had to trade for players, which kind of worked. But, um, yeah, look, it, the, these future selections are likely going to be on the trade table. They'll have a lot that they get to work with, whether it's adding experienced talent, which look, there's not a lot of great experienced talent out there that's off contract. So they're going to be, you're probably going to be looking at contracted players or they can try and move themselves up the draft order this year and just throw away, well, not throw away, but you know, move on those future selections before the AFL has a chance to review them. Mm. So that's another incentive for them to get better quickly yeah. from the AFL. So th- there is a balancing act of, of how you want to use those picks, but I'd be surprised if... A, North aren't putting them on the table quickly and, and B, if rival clubs aren't, aren't looking at them. So, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I would say, look, the package is probably overs. I reckon a future first this year and maybe a future first next year Yeah, uh, at the back end of the draft would have would have been okay. The additional one is probably a lot. And then the idea that they can trade the future one, even though the AFL can review it, is, is a bit of a funny one. But they, it works both ways. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just going to be another one of those Clarko's a genius moments, just grabbing every <laughs> advantage that he possibly well, can. Uh, yeah, Clarko's like, you know, he, he wasn't obviously heavy on the draft um, in the later stages of his, of his career he, when he joined the club. And, you know, they weren't in a great position and they, they did really well at the draft. Yes, they got, you know, some help, but um, it wasn't all, you know, just the AFL handing them selections. They, they picked the right players. Mm-hmm. Um, and they it, a lot of it comes down to development. Like, I think that's one thing you got to think of, like North... Have probably struggled on the development side of things as well over the past five six years. Um, you know they, they've got some ace picks like LDU's a superstar. She's yeah. on Wardlaw in one season. You, you know you, you like to think what you know what you're getting with with those two guys as well. So development certainly turning in their favour a bit. But there's a lot of players they've picked up over maybe the last five six years that go the other way, and that's obviously leads to a lot of turnover and leads to the position they're in. But um, promising signs this year. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what, what comes up in the next month. Yeah, so we've got a lot of trade and draft uh, content planned out. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about North a lot over the coming weeks. Yeah. So, uh, last thing on the agenda, so the Hawks uh, trade plans. So, they've missed out on Mackay and Radigalia and Henry. So, what, what are they looking at at the moment? Yeah, it's uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, I try to have a look at what Hawthorne could do if they were still in the market for a key defender. Um, so, as you mentioned, no Radigalia, no Mackay. Um, is a bit of a double blow. It would have cost them a little bit from a radical ear standpoint. So I think that's probably lucky that they missed because they want to be holding on to early selections. Mackay would have been a free agent and therefore free uh, unless North were matching a bid. Probably wasn't going to happen. Um, so, you know, who, like, who do they look at for this year? You know, uh, who's available? Adam Tomlinson's another one that's kind of off the market now. Um, Brandon Zerk Thatcher's looking to go to port. So some of the, the better or more reliable and experienced key defenders off the market. Yep. 
Dougal Howard contracted, so that's kind of makes it a bit harder, but he's uh, one that's probably been floated. Guys like Nick Caulfield and Tom Duday probably aren't the tall ones if they want a tall uh, key defender, but those two guys um, a bit more on offer than most. Um, Will Gould and Caleb Marchbank, just younger or less experienced, um, but another couple that aren't signed for next season. And then do you look at, you know, do you bide your time and wait 24 months when you've got a Jack Henry, a Josh Battle, a Nick Haynes, a Nathan Murphy um, off contract and they kind of make a big splash next year when they've been saving their cash? And Sam Mitchell said that earlier this year. Like, they'll probably, they weren't going to look at, you know, a big free agency um, fish in 2023 and it was likely going to be 2024. So there's some guys who are free agents next year or off contract next year. And that's who they could look at. They've also got Will McCabe coming through the draft. Mm-hmm. First round selection, most likely. One of the better intercept keybacks. Um, so he's one that, that adds to their list. Um, but is, is adding youth is not, you know, I don't know if he'll have an immediate impact. So there's something to consider there. And you also have to think that they've got a lot of guys off contract next year. So Chanko Chiaz, Josh Weddle, Blake Hardwick, I think Jack, uh, Denver Granger-Barras, James Blank, all these guys aren't signed beyond 2024. So they've got a lot to, to do in, in-house. Um, and then, you, yeah, you look at players on the way out as well. So outside of just the back line, Jacob Kaczynski looking to get to Richmond. He's a player that they maybe could have looked to move into defence um, mm-hmm. if they thought that his time for was probably up. Tyler Bruckman, another one looking to go west. Mass D'Ambrosio, according to AFL.com, is, is trying to get to Hawthorne. So that's an interesting one and, and more of a halfback flank utility option. So I think that'll be a good get for them if he doesn't cost too much. Um, but I think Essendon should be playing hardball to keep him um, given they've reportedly offered him a, a deal anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's another one that another club that's going to be quite busy and going to be an intriguing one is Hawthorne, given if they keep themselves in the key defensive market or if they kind of turn their attention elsewhere or to the future yeah. and look at who's off contract next year. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be an interesting one to uh, watch. So where would you expect their... What, what are their expectations for next season then? Hawthorne? Yeah. Yeah, I think they can make a bit of a jump. I don't yeah. know how significant it'll be. Um, they surprised a lot of teams this year. Yeah, oh, what, seven wins or yeah. whatever it was. Um, yeah, they've they've got a lot of the right pieces in play. Like, they, they settled on their back line early in this rebuild, um, had all the right names right where they want them, and, and maybe they just want to tinker with that a little bit and, and add to it. Their midfield group was probably the second block that they wanted to focus on. And they did a lot of that through the draft. Mm. So you look at Will Day into John Newcomb, uh, Josh Ward into Cam McKenzie, uh, James Warple's been around and he had a, he had the season, I think, he the, the club was certainly after him, uh, looking for him to have. So the midfield group is, is locked in. You add in guys like Connor McDonald as well so that Dylan Moore can go through. And then the forward line is, is the issue, I think. Um, if Mitch Lewis doesn't play, they're... They've got problems. Um, I think they had a winning record this year when it was him and James Sisley were playing together at either end of the field. So you only have to look at maybe that. And it just shows how important those two are um, at either end. Uh, so a supporting player for, for Mitch Lewis is, is critical. And that's why the Kijiski loss can be could have quite an impact if Lewis goes down again and they've kind of got no one to, to kick to. Um, so I think a key forward for them will, will be um, on their list. Kel Shadir is another is a father-son who um, was quite impressive for Sandringham over the weekend in the um, Coates Talent League Grand Final. So um, whether he's you know, certified you know, top draftee or you know, draft selection that they want or they look him at the rookie draft or whatever, um, that'll be an interesting one just to see whereabouts he's selected. But he's had a pretty good back end of, of the year. So yeah. Cal Shadir, um, another one to, to look out for the Hawks' draft plans. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Next year, let's. I, I think they can they can jump up a few spots, but they've got a lot of clubs around them that as well that are probably on the way up. You know, look at Gold Coast. Um, look at Fremantle. Yeah, I think maybe they could you know surpass clubs like Geelong um, and maybe even Essendon. Essendon are, are going to be in a pretty interesting position, I think, this time uh, next year and yeah. just about where where they're sitting. But um, yeah, well, I think yeah, the Hawks should be coming up. They're, they're not the only one in that in that group. Um, and they should be breaking away, I think, from North Melbourne and West Coast. Yeah. But just how far or who they can jump is is going to be interesting. Yeah, it's one of those things where you might, you're sort of more thinking about who's going to drop down rather than who's going to, because a lot of clubs are going to be pushing up. But uh, <coughs> that should wrap it up for today. So yeah. thanks, Mitch. Thank you. Got a lot done there. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. And also, this is available as a podcast now if you prefer to listen to this rather than just uh, watch it. Uh, so if you just search Zero Hanger AFL Podcast on all your podcast apps, it's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. Um, and don't forget, you can catch all the latest AFL news at zerohanger.com.